0: Today we have Claire Backhouse um, with us, who's a registered nutritional therapist, and Claire has, has worked with with a whole range of different um, clients dealing with uh, issues of digestion, energy, mood, and thyroid health. And she is a member of the Thyroid Collective. So today, Claire is is going to, to tell us a little bit about herself, her work and how, how she does things generally. So Claire, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: So Claire, could you just start with what with, with you're saying, what is your work about and, and how do you work perhaps?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been trained as a nutritional therapist in the functional medicine approach. And the way that works is that we look at our clients as whole people. We look at their whole health and instead of looking for a disease to treat with drugs, we are looking at all the systems of the body and working out what food or lifestyle or extra nutrient support they need to be to re- regain the health that they're looking for.
0: Right. So just, to, just to, to dig down a little further in that, when you say functional approach, does that mean, let me try and put it into a, a practical thing. Um, I come with you and I say, I have issues with irritable bowel. Mm-hmm. How, how would your approach in terms of function and whole, whole person approach, what does that look like in practice?
1: Yeah, great question. I would be first of all asking you a lot of questions about your health history. So as well as finding out what symptoms you have from irritable, irritable bowel right now, I'd be wanting to know, you know, whether you've had antibiotics in the past, what your stress levels have been like, what your family health history is like, and so on. Um, and I would be wanting to. Think about root causes, so what, what happened before you got irritable bowel? What could be the weaknesses that allowed irritable bowel to take hold? So I'm always looking at which parts of the body need to be strengthened. So for example, if you had had a great deal of antibiotics following operations and your microbiome, the bugs in your gut were suffering, that could be a cause of irritable bowel. And so we would want to have a look at your gut health in a bit more detail. Right. And in some cases, testing is useful to find out exactly what a person's issues really are. In
0: mm-hmm. other
1: cases, symptoms are clear enough, but every person's reason for having something will be some, somewhat unique to them, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so that that sounds like, like quite an um, involved process to start with in, in terms of finding out the background that you yes. need.
1: Yes, I always start with uh, quite a long questionnaire. I ask my clients to fill in um, a questionnaire about their symptoms and health history before we meet. So it it means that we can really hit the ground running and Get to the core of what what's been causing their issues quite quickly,
0: yeah. Right. Um, and so, Claire, how how did you actually get into to nutritional therapy?
1: Quite a story. Um, I was busy being um, I was busy teaching uh, at New York University in London. I was teaching history, and I was enjoying it enough but two things were happening one i was becoming increasingly tired and unwell and i had digestive issues and the other was i had a very sick parent and the sick parent made me really question what is it that i'm going to leave behind me it made me think about very serious topics and what is it, where is my life going to go myself and what am i going to leave behind me and um And the illness forced me eventually to stop work altogether. So I had a a time of enforced reflection. And I realized that much as I consider history fascinating and important, and it's vital that we teach it well, I realized that actually what I cared much more about was that the health of my students much more than their history essays. And then I was at the same time experiencing gradual return to health myself as I worked with a nutritionist. And so, and I just discovered this, that I was getting better and in ways that I'd never heard about before. I had never come across the functional approach really. And it just fascinated me. And I thought in that period of illness as I recovered, I began to realise that what I wanted to do was to retrain and to work in nutrition myself. So it was quite a journey, yeah, involving my own health. Yeah,
0: right. Um, so it it sounded so it's it's mixed in the sense of there's a physical journey back to health, but it also sounds like something of a spiritual awakening in the process.
1: Yes, I think that's that's fair to say. And funnily enough, I'd had conversations you know th- throughout my life about you know, what is your passion what's what are you really passionate about and um for me I could say oh I'm passionate about you know my faith or I'm passionate about people in my life but I'd never really found a passion about anything that I did work-wise it always been interest but not passion
0: right
1: but when nutrition came along it was it had I discovered that I realized I must be passionate about it because I didn't mind talking about it at all times. And at the same time, it was a a realization of how healing in this broadest sense seems to be baked into the world we live in, in all sorts of ways. And sometimes, and I came, at the time that I was ill, I came across a lot of um, people who followed Jesus, who were, talking about supernatural healing. And I also came across lots of people who were using holistic means, very simple food-based, lifestyle-based work to bring people back to healing, back to good health. And um, I suppose that was like a, an awareness that, yes, perhaps there's there's more healing on offer in our world than I realized.
0: Right. Yeah. So- you' you you've, you've made a connection there between uh, a christian perspective or, or the person of christ and and of and the physical healing and and some 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 connection was made there could you just clarify what that was for you?
1: yeah yes so for me i had always believed as a follower of jesus that Jesus could heal,
0: yeah.
1: and I'd come across people who had experienced very dramatic healings. I think the first one I ever heard about was a man whose brain tumor just disappeared with, with no notice. It just was a huge brain tumor, and then it suddenly disappeared um, for apparently no reason other than prayer. And so things like that had interested me, but I hadn't really. I hadn't it hadn't occurred to me until the time that I began, I became interested in nutrition that actually perhaps that kind of sudden supernatural healing yeah. is more normal in life than I had that God is more willing to do it more frequently than I had expected it, it, more of a part of everyday life than I thought um, and I suppose in myself, I see healing in it comes in so many ways, but it, broadly, I envisage it as when it's a gift of God and God has done it, a human being can't replicate it reliably. Right. <laughs> it's something that, you know, whereas with nutrition, I might see several different clients, say, several different clients with IBS. And although I might work with them differently, I might see a very um, expected pattern of gradual recovery. But it, I don't necessarily. I might ask God for help with that. But it's it's there is a very different thing when when God does an unrepeatable supernatural healing. And I suppose I found myself excited by both. That that sometimes God seems to heal suddenly, and other times. He'll heal gradually. And I suppose one thing that uh, I, someone said to me when I was quite ill, which helped me enormously was, God always seems to want to draw community together when healing takes place. So rather than just me going off quietly by myself and praying a prayer and getting healed, so often, whether it's supernatural, sudden healing, or it's gradual, more natural healing, so often, God wants to draw people into community to get that healing from, from him.
0: But, uh, yeah. By community, are you specifically referring to community of believers or non-believers or mixture? Or how, how do you see that?
1: Um, I had, speaking from my own experience, I've only seen supernatural healing with Christ followers i've only seen healing that's a gift of god mm-hmm. in christ in terms of other types of healing i mean it's it's there everywhere isn't it whether you go the allopathic mainstream medicine route or whether you're working with nutritionists there's always that sense of community or should ideally be a sense of community of people drawing a- alongside you and i suppose ideally there will always be other Friends and family and people also drawing alongside you and encouraging you on that journey, and so, so I suppose the importance of human support is um, yeah not to be minimised at all. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And would you would you think you would classify yourself as a healer? Ooh.
1: Instinctively, no, (laughs) because I feel that there's something. (laughs) I feel there's something kind of in my mind. I imagine that a healer to be quite separate, a sort of separate sort of person, being quite exalted, if that makes sense. So, I suppose I would say, um, yeah, I just see myself as a straightforward nutritionist walking with Jesus. In community
0: with others. Okay, that's
1: that, how I
0: see myself. That, that's that's a good way of putting it. Uh, sorry, I may have put you on the spot there with that question because. <laughs> okay. in, in, in my mind, um, uh, a healer is somebody. I, um, who I might use that exact same um, sentence that you've just described. Walking alongside somebody with, with, with some knowledge or ability to help the, the, the process and also being a, a believer in Christ. So to me, it, whether you, you would want to put the, the, the spiritual aspect or the belief in, 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 in God or supernatural being into that, the, the healing process is is. is true or with a healer who either brings the knowledge or the support or boat. Right. So I guess that, that's, that's my, my take on it, which, you know, doesn't have to be yours.
1: Yeah. I certainly have experienced that um, recipients of healing, as in people getting healed, yep. I've seen that across the board and I think it's absolutely not exclusive. In yeah. any case, so um, so I've never seen anyone, for example, lay their hands on somebody else and see healing, except in Jesus' name. But I've seen many people who aren't themselves believers receive healing in Jesus' name. Yeah. Um, and yes, of course, all my clients are come from all sorts of backgrounds, and there's I don't overtly bring my faith into my work unless a client. Would like to that it's it's very much focused on on the food and the lifestyle and yeah yep. the practical things yeah
0: so just just on that topic of lifestyle I mean for for me most most people say well okay you if you if you don't want to call yourself a healer and you you your title so to speak is a nutritionist or a nutritional therapist mm-hmm. now. How how does that fit into um, what what you do with people in terms of their lifestyle?
1: Uh, Yes, good question. Um, I find myself quite often talking to people about how they get up in the morning, or the kinds of movement they do, or the way they breathe, which sounds completely not nutrition. But those things all affect how nutrition works in our bodies. So I guess I'm coming from the starting point of nutrition Mm -hmm. Uh, and in exactly the same way that, for example, a zinc deficiency can have mental health implications. In the same way, if I'm I'm breathing too shallowly Mm -hmm. when I eat, then I'm less likely to break down my nutrients successfully I'm less likely to absorb those nutrients and benefit from them I may be more likely to have a, an unhappy gut <laughs> indigestion generally all sorts of things so life so for me lifestyle I um, lifestyle work will always connect with how well you benefit from the food that you have but okay. at the same time it, it links into a um, a whole person view of what
0: well being well looks like so yeah you would be telling me um you need to slow down um stop stop eating while walking or or something along those lines i guess (laughs) i might be yeah
1: (laughs) might be
0: (laughs) well yes i've been guilty of, of yeah thinking oh i'm in a rush i'm just gonna grab i'm gonna grab something out of um I wouldn't go as far as a, a McDonald's because I don't do McDonald's, but it might, might be something equally as not good, shall I say. Um, right. But, yeah. but even the, the mere act of of walking and eating, or even thinking about, oh, my, my next meeting or this I need to do, et cetera. I guess you'd be saying to me, from a lifestyle perspective, there's a connection between that, um, behaviour and the act of, of eating something that is either nutritional or, or not nutritionally good.
1: Yeah, I would be, I would be ideally, I'd, I love to, to have my clients really sit down and enjoy their food when they eat it. Mm-hmm. And it's It's ridiculous that actually just chewing your food up properly is Massively important to make sure that your stomach acid levels are, are suitably high, so as to break down your protein and help you absorb your iron and your B twelve, and it's just these small things that seem too simple to be worthwhile are actually so important, and they're such game changers for people. And I think I suppose in part we're regaining the wisdom of perhaps our our ancestors who might have been, might, I don't know, have been more likely to sit down and just enjoy a meal with other people or quietly eat without distraction and stress. Yeah, I think we yeah. were regaining the importance of all sorts of things that we, we downplayed, perhaps yeah. Yeah. in the last century, like sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah. So just, just let me run back up. Run that by me again. So are you saying to me that, that the, the way that I eat would affect the, the pH in my stomach, which affects the, the, the amount of nutrition I get from my food?
1: Yes, yes. And in fact, sometimes when people suffer from acid reflux, it can sometimes be helped by better and slower chewing, because that chewing will trigger better levels of stomach acid. The better levels of stomach acid mean that you not only absorb those nutrients and, and that I was talking about, but they also trigger good levels of enzymes in your small intestine. And so you need good levels of stomach acid to make sure that your food doesn't hang around in your stomach for too long. That high, that good level of stomach acid is needed to sort of open the gate for the stomach to let out that food into the small intestine in a timely way. And But the sad thing is is that if you don't have sufficient levels of stomach acid, um, and for other nutritionists listening, this is very much Nutrition 101, but it's such a game changer. Um, If you don't have sufficient levels of stomach acid, you can actually give yourself reflux which feels paradoxical because the acid is too low, it's insufficient. And that's because the food is sitting around, not moving on as it should. And it's just sitting around creating pressure on your lower esophageal sphincter. So yes, it's all important. It's all connected. And um, it's lovely that there are so many things that one can do that don't cost money to make a big change. It's lovely.
0: And I think that that's a key part of it because um, in today's society, somebody's always always, uh, um, in terms of uh, whether it's big farm or or supplement um, companies or whoever it is, is saying right, we can make you better, but you need to to have more of X, which we're quite happy to sell you. But but something that that sounds like natural wisdom doesn't form part of that offering either.
1: <laughs> it's hard to monetize. <laughs>
0: yep. it, it is hard to monetize the idea of, okay, well, th- this thing about queuing for <laughs> longer w- would decrease the, the amount of acid reflux that I might get.
1: Potentially.
0: Potentially. Depending yes. on
1: the cause for you, absolutely. yeah,
0: Yeah that that's really interesting and i think that for myself I, and i'm sure other people who, who are listening would say well i've never heard that one before i think wow you mean it 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 could be as simple as that i mean i know you're saying it it's it not necessarily as simple as that for everybody but it it makes sense that that one can do something that that helps In a in a natural way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also, again, it's almost a a return to habits that might have been instinctive before we considered it normal to eat when we were running around. But that simple practice of perhaps saying grace before you eat or slowing down and talking while you eat, smelling the food, you know, it's called the cephalic phase of digestion the sort of the head area It's where wow. that where digestion starts and so yeah that chewing mechanism sends messages to your stomach to produce sufficient stomach acid and yeah
0: wow okay. now i know so before we we'd started recording this we, we were talking a while back about um the links between nutrition and nature, and perhaps even farming practice, which I believe you you, you do have an interest in. Yes. Can yeah. Can you just enlighten me again, and what that was?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose. I'm interested, although I am absolutely not a farmer, and I have so much to learn about farming. um, I am concerned about farming practices and how they affect our bodies. I suppose one well-known issue is how much crops are sprayed, particularly with things like glyphosate, which is um, a herbicide and, so something like glyphosate will not only bind to um, beneficial metals and potentially prevent us from absorbing useful trace trace elements like magnesium, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it can also disrupt our microbiome because glyphosate was considered to be safe for humans because I forget the particular thing that humans are missing, which was considered to make glyphosate safe for us. But of course, at that time, people didn't really think about the microbiome and they didn't think that possibly, even though humans themselves might not obviously suffer as, as humans from mm-hmm. glyphosate, that perhaps the microbiome, the bacteria in our gut might actually suffer from the activity of um, glyphosate. So I'm concerned for things like um, the lining of our guts, which is so important for absorbing nutrients and um, breaking down um, food, that that our gut lining can suffer from in- intake of glyphosate. And I think, um, from what I gather, the use of glyphosate is, has increased dramatically in the last few decades. And um, yet yeah, it's used more and more as a desiccant for crops as well as um, to get rid of Um, unwanted plants so it's one of those things that is actually it's we've all got it in our systems through water Um, but we just it's so anyway organic farming for that reason which organic farming avoiding the use of chemicals like glyphosate is so important in Mm -hmm. my, my mind not just for ecology not just for our waterways Crucial and those are just as crucial, but they are also important for our individual bodies and it's it's I would love to see organic food become more and more affordable. Yes, for for that reason, among other reasons yeah. Uh,
0: And just to just pick up on that point, are you saying to me that that. um, This is in our in the water that we're drinking as well, so that. It's kind of like normal, so I I turn on my tap and I'm drinking this stuff unknowingly, is that what you're saying?
1: I don't know what the levels are like in um, tap water around the country, that I wouldn't be able to comment on. But um, I'm thinking more about, um, I think rainwater has been found even to contain it. I might be wrong there but that's yeah. what I remember from my reading um, okay. and just all sorts of waterways contaminated but also just eating for me eating a tomato or eating some salad I'm ingesting that glyphosate even though it's officially um, meant to be just a farming tool yeah. that glyphosate is entering my system and affecting my digestion my microbiome
0: sure so is this something you would be saying to to clients that come along as well to that, 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 that one of the, the better habits you can have is is to to get as much organic um, produce in you as you possibly can
1: yes i would i'm very conscious of people's budgets and yes yeah. and so i um, so there will be cases where I might suggest, look, if you can only have a few things organic, these would be the better things. So um, things like uh, animal products are a great idea if you can have them organic. Um, Also grains, particularly wheat, um, which are very heavily sprayed. But there's also a very useful, if you go, I think it's the Environmental Working Group will show you, or there are various websites that'll show you the. The clean 15 and the dirty dozen, which shows you fruits and vegetables that are the most susceptible to unhealthy sprays and the fruits and vegetables that are the least susceptible, so that even if you don't buy them organic, it won't be as harmful for you. So, for example, I think um, an avocado that's not organic is less of a problem than, say, a tomato, that sort of thing.
0: Right. Oh, That's really useful
1: thing yeah. if you can't afford to have an entirely organic diet sometimes you can just be aware of the things that are most likely to contain the highest
0: and, levels of yes.
1: that
0: we we i'm sure we will put a link on today the, um the the podcast for this on on um the clean 15 and the dirty dozen
1: yeah wow. that's Rule of that, quite yeah. It's a, you can find it in a lot of places. It's it's a very well known idea, but um, but in terms of um, chemicals and looking up what's in what, the environmental working group is a great resource as well. Their website, excellent. Um, but I think there's also the issue of nutrients and the fact that it, when you have. Um, So I've just talked about glyphosate, which is a herbicide. But when you're using chemical fertilizers, you're you're creating in the plants that you grow a dependence on the fertilizer over and against a dependence on mycorrhizal fungi that that live in the earth and help to supply nutrients to that plant. So the sad thing is, is that it looks as though organic food is I say it's not it's wonderful organic food is better it's just annoying that there's not more organic food um, so with non-organic food, if it's been sprayed with a lot of chemical fertilizer, it will have taken on that nitrogen and the fertilizer for its use, but possibly at the expense of absorbing useful um, trace minerals from the soil that it might have relied on if it hadn't been sprayed with the fertilizer. And I suppose these mycorrhizal fungi, which link plants under the soil and supply nutrients are, they're becoming more and more understood. And I think I'm excited when when farmers choose to go organic. It's a wonderful thing ecologically, but I'm excited about the way that they are potentially supplying more nutritious food with better trace minerals to their their customers.
0: just just so to to clarify that because that that's um one that i i don't know if many people would know of that that phrase michael micro (laughs) file fungi sorry i can't even (laughs) pronounce it no no
1: no. mycorrhizal
0: fungi mycorrhizal fungi are we talking about the mushroom family then yeah
1: it is it's a This is a kind of a mushroom basically that lives almost invisibly in the soil. And what's amazing about mycorrhizal fungi is that it also helps to hold the soil together. It's important in soil health itself. So in healthy soil, so this is why I'm interested in things like regenerative farming that are interested in building up the health of soil rather than massive output at whatever cost. Because when you're building up the health of soil, you're ensuring that that land can be harvested for future generations and you're creating soil that will offer better nutrients in the present. So it's a, it's a huge deal um, and I, I, I don't envy farmers and all the decisions they're having to make and I'm in awe of anyone who, takes on, who does that work um, and I suppose, in an ideal world, we'd all be, would be seeing a lot more organic farming across the world, especially regenerative and paying attention to soil health.
0: So I guess this, just to me, sort of ties in with, with what you, you, you restarted this conversation earlier on with, um, in, in terms of legacy or leaving something behind that's of value. Um, and passion and and all of that sort of stuff that that if I, I was a farmer and I was to, to take on board what you're saying, I may not um, financially get as much reward because are you saying my crop yield might be less, but it it would last a longer time?
1: Um, I suppose from my from my perspective, you would be conserving soil health for future generations. Right. So ensuring that the soil doesn't, because I guess poor soil will wash off more easily into rivers and it will, have, it will have less nutrients. There'll be less of a sense of, there'll be less fungi there helping to connect plants under the ground. And uh, I'm very conscious that anyone who really knows this Stuff will uh, recognize that what i'm saying is very basic but sure. it's so important um yeah, yeah and i i think that that is i suppose you could call it legacy farming really because in some parts of particularly um canada and the united states the soils are just blowing away in the wind mm. and that is a dangerous thing but to leave a healthy soil for the future is gosh that would be a an amazing thing
0: to leave. Yes, definitely. But but just to come back in, in, in your role as, as a nutritional therapist, you, you're, you're saying that that the, the idea, the concept of of um, plants that that are produced organically are, are more reliant on, on a natural process and therefore. Would benefit people who are eating them because they're they're they higher of higher nutritional value. Yes. Yeah. Wow.
1: So the if you've got plants that aren't wholly relying on a, a, a spray fertilizer, they are putting down their roots into the soil, and they're sending out sort of carbohydrates into the soil which they swap with the mycorrhizal fungi for nutrients so there's a symbiotic relationship between the plants and the and the fungi the fungi take on so the plant is creating these carbohydrates from the light in the water and the plant's roots will sort of swap some of that carbohydrate with the mycorrhizal fungi and the mycorrhizal fungi will provide the nutrients that the plant wants and apparently the plant can tweak its output of carbohydrates in order to get the nutrients that it wants which i i find it extraordinary so if the plant needs more i don't know chromium or some quite you know trace metal yeah um, zinc or calcium or something like this. It apparently they can adjust their output of carbohydrates so that they get the the feedback that they want from the mycorrhizal fungi.
0: Wow. Which, and
1: I guess it's interesting that just from a purely sort of layman's perspective, an organic tomato tastes a million times
0: better than a non-organic That's one. true, Yes. And right.
1: it's full of flavour. And I think.
0: That's got to be part of it. Wow. Well, from from this layman can agree with you on that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm aware that that we've we've gone way down in, into um, nature and organics. Um, I just wanted to 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 bring us back a little bit to the work that you do with with clients. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I guess the clients come to you looking for some sort of nutritional support and guidance and help. Yes. Do you do you how do you um, see any, oh no, I rephrase it. In terms of helping people make some changes, because a lot of what you're saying would suggest that if somebody came to you they would have to be making a change in either their lifestyle the the, the lifestyle habits or their eating habits how yeah. important do you think the 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 role that you have in, in facilitating that that change
1: ah oh, yes yeah that's a good point the um the person will want to, to see change but the, yep. the question is always, how much change are they willing to make themselves to see that change in their overall lives? Yeah, and that's such a, a key point. I find uh, Well, one of the reasons I love what I do is that it's, it's an art form as, as well. as well as having to read science, I have to think, I have to sort of think intuitively, and I think there'll be some people who come to me raring to go. they'll say i want the works right now and i want to do it all tell me everything and i want to do it all from this moment forward and that's one way of working some people really flourish in that approach and other people are more cautious and for many good reasons or perhaps it's just the style they work with best and they need just one or two key things that feel very doable and then to work up gradually from there and i think it's just I love the fact that my job is just never boring That's one of the reasons it's never boring because people are so different. I could have 10 clients with, I don't know, low mood and low energy, but each of them will be going about their changes in completely different ways, depending on their lifestyle, their family, what their job is like, what they, what their actual lives look like, and also their temperament. And so, um, The key is I think to work out what somebody feels is doable and I think also I find that people if they know why they're doing something that's the big buy-in. If they can say to themselves okay I will give up x or I will take on y but I know why I'm doing it I get how it works then they're always much more sort of motivated and so I try to help make sure that I don't swamp people with stuff. Only the people that want to be
0: swamped. <laughs> um,
1: but, uh, but yeah, So I try to make sure that people come away thinking, okay, I, I know what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. And I can see how I would do it. And that's what the another thing that I love about what I do is that um, whereas when I was an academic and I was very much sort of hoping that my ideas would eventually filter down, what I love is that I'm I'm taking from recent science and making it ultra practical and breaking it down to, okay, what are you going to eat for breakfast this morning? And that's really fun. So breaking down big ideas into very small, very practical things, because it's no good saying to someone, have a better breakfast in the morning. It's much better to say something, to, to decide together, hey, what would be a really doable, healthy, filling breakfast that you would enjoy eating? That's a whole different conversation. So I think joy and enjoyment and the individual, and uh, one of the things I love to do is to work with people's strengths. So I really make quite a lot of effort not to see people as a sort of catalog of problems that need solving, Mm because I don't think that's who they are. I think that they are glorious human beings dealing with some issues. And so I try to start with what they love and what works for them, yeah. So on the whole, it works pretty well. I won't say that, you know, no one's ever said to me they couldn't do something, but it's fun. It's a fun collaboration. It always feels quite collaborative.
0: Yeah. That's that's really good, Claire. But I do have to say to you, I love biscuits. What are you going to do to help me now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm afraid you're a lost cause. Uh,
0: (laughs) I knew it, rejected it yet again. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. That's
1: funny. <laughs> no,
0: but I guess I guess you do do that. That is a practical sort of thing that that you would um, come across somebody saying, well, I, I love biscuits, I'd love to get it up, but I can't.
1: Yeah, th- no, you're oh. absolutely right. That is for sure. That is a, a thing. Um, and I think there are certain things sometimes it all depends on the person sometimes someone is willing they just they know that the biscuits are the problem and they are more than willing to make the effort to give the, give up the biscuits. Other people biscuits are the least of their worries and actually I won't jump in and say ditch your biscuits I'll be like well let's focus on these more important issues first leave the biscuits until we're ready and feel able to deal with them <laughs> you know it's a question of timing I suppose and then there'll be other people and I've absolutely experienced this myself that actually maybe the biscuits were an emotional crutch for something else and it's really not about the biscuits and maybe there's a bit of I don't know perhaps some counselling or something you know there may be something else that's missing that needs to happen and one of the things that often is missing when people crave something and they really don't want to give it up sometimes it's an emotional thing that that I I would refer someone elsewhere, and sometimes it can just be a lack of protein. It can be a, a, a nutritional deficit. That actually, it you squeeze out the problem food with other great food. Right. So it all depends on the person. Yeah, those are just some some of the ways I might wow. <laughs> tackle the biscuit.
0: <laughs> that 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 sounds. I have to say that sounds really sneaky
1: oh
0: you think it's sneaky <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's like yeah yeah we're going to make you give up the biscuits but I'm not going to tell you to give up the biscuits I'm just going to say fill your plate with other good stuff and the biscuits will disappear that's what it sounds like to me
1: well I try to be kind of open about these things um,
0: yeah but, but yeah, I am, I am joking, but, but yeah it, it is sometimes <laughs> best not to, to, to approach things head on but from a, a slightly um, more more consensual sort of approach.
1: Yes, and I and I've actually learned that in the last perhaps year or so that not everything has to be dealt with immediately. Sometimes, yeah. if you really want to work on something that's quite challenging, you need to give yourself time to do it gently, or schedule it carefully. It doesn't, you don't have to jump in at the most obvious point. That's that's something I've been discovering.
0: Yeah. Wow. Claire, you, I have to say it's it's been really interesting um speaking with you because um I I, I do confess I've ne- never spoken to somebody who is a nutritional therapist before and my eyes have been opened in terms of of what you do and how you do it. So it's it's a it's a lot broader in terms of lifestyle than than I would imagine that somebody would be talking about. So it's been a real pleasure.
1: Wow. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to talk to you.
0: Um, and for anybody who who's interested in in knowing more about what what you do, can you just Tell us where, where you can be found.
1: Sure, yes. Um, so my, um, my company is called Transformation Nutrition. So you can Google Transformation Nutrition and Claire Backhouse. I hope you'll find me. And I'm on Instagram with the tag Transformation Nutrition UK. Yeah, I'd love to be in touch. And It's easy to go to the contact page and email me. I'm Excellent. always a random chat.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Well, today it's been great. And um we will no doubt be seeing you again sometime soon. Take care. Oh,
1: that would be lovely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right.
0: Bye.